<clears throat> okay, excellent. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Deleted for Security Clearances podcast. I'm Stephen. I'm, uh, I'm the Vault Tech. And I'm Casey, who is determined to talk over everyone somehow. And I have a bad stutter. So let's hop into this. We're going to be doing some first impressions of acute paranoia for Paranoia 17. Yeah, so acute paranoia at the time of recording will have been... I'm not sure if it's been released to the public yet. It was basically done over a Kickstarter campaign. The um, Kickstarter copies are now in the process of either having been sent out or being sent out. Certainly, everyone in the UK has arrived. Um, I backed at like Indigo level or something because I'm that sad. Uh, so, loyal, so. you mean? Loyal, yes. Um, indigo level, which means you get everything plus a um, annotated versions with the designer's notes. Uh, more on that later, possibly. So, acute paranoia. What do we got? Uh, so, it comes with basically three books. There's the Troubleshooter's Survival Handbook. There's the GM's Despotic Power Book, and there is the the mission book. So similar to the basic Paranoia box set, his guide, GM's guide, mission guide. Um, the player and GM's guide basically cover a lot of the same stuff, but one player facing, one GM facing. Uh, any other points that we should bring up there? Uh, is this more, is this like an updated version of the original Acute Paranoia, which tends to get uh, an update for every edition? No, is the short answer. That's an always point. Uh, Cute Paranoia was the sort of big expansion for first edition. It added a lot of new rules. This does a similar thing. Some of the stuff, for instance, bot rules are the same as were it. You know, bot rules were introduced in the first edition of Cute Paranoia as well. So to that extent, there is some stuff. But it's not all the same. For instance, this version of uh, Cute Paranoia adds the Underplex, which was originally introduced in XP edition. Mm. It's like that. Uh, uh, no point. In terms of the writing, uh, I've got here, according to the credits, it was written by W.J. McGuffin, Amanda Cherry, Greg Ingber, Dan Curtis Johnson, and Ed Turner. Uh, I don't know what each of them contributed to it. The, the designer's notes guides are just by WJ, and he's basically written all over everything. I assume he didn't do it all himself, and the others did actually contribute, but there isn't really any uh, explanation given as to who did what, which I think is a shame personally, but mileage may vary there. That's pretty common, though, too. Yeah. It is. Uh, obviously, um, Greg Ingber and Don Curtis Johnson have previously worked on earlier editions of Paranoia as well. Says W.J. McGuffin. Um, as far as I know, Amanda Cherry and Ed Turner haven't. Uh, yeah. So, I suppose that's sort of what's 
Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, after you. Sorry. I was just going to say that um, for as far as we know, not having worked on Paranoia before, they seem to have done a pretty good job, all things considered. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. And talking about just general thoughts on the books as a whole, I, there's some stuff, I think we might have mentioned this in a previous episode if we ever actually air those. There were some things I wasn't entirely impressed by, some stuff were. Um, yeah, overall, I thought it was very good. It's very well written. It's the classic paranoia ideas. Uh, reading through this it does uh first glance feel a lot like older paranoias with an updated look it really does i think they captured the spirit extremely well yeah and honestly one of the things is there's a lot of more um i don't want to say larp elements but certainly interactivity for the players there's a continuing from the previous box set there's lots of cards their rules are playing as bots as we mentioned which come with their own set of bot cards uh there's also this thing for how to put it um mental health inverted commas the characters are basically given these disorder bingo cards and you can mark off when a player exhibits a symptom of a disorder and if you get a sort of bingo results then they get given pills is I like this kind I like of like trainer. sorry go ahead casey no no you're good go on Kelly. uh i was just gonna say that is this uh anything like ticks or is this like replace the ticks uh it's not like ticks no so I see ticks xp edition your character would have particular um their character quirk that they do and you could get points for role playing that uh this isn't anything like this this is actually there are as we say inverted commas um mental health mental disorders i think wj uh goes to pains to point out that these are not based on real disorders and he isn't trying to parody anything real um real mental health issues aren't fun but we've got things like calamity induced dysphoria which <laughs> post trees and guilt complex uh, yeah si situational perplexity complex that's me every day honestly yeah so yeah so there's the various things there uh if we look at um stockpile syndrome which <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, citizens spend more time checking their gear than spying on teammates with possible terrorist leanings. In time, they become so obsessed with the fear of losing items, they begin to hoard as much gear as possible. Uh, which, yeah, so it's a condition diagnosed among citizens who've witnessed or participated in higher than average quantity of treasonous activity, aka terrorist bastards, um, treated with. Uh, Telescopolmine or Beniform prescribed. And let's just see if I can find my copy here. Unfortunately, I don't think I can. But there are bingo cards for the disorders that contain, uh, how best to put it, things. 
Things. Things. Let's call them things. Uh, well, I desperately... T- Unfortunately, my physical copy has been sent to my parents' house, and I'm not going to get it for a while. But... It's interesting because it even goes into like health insurance and and such. Yeah, uh, that. Yeah. Yeah, that's in some else. We've got the health insurance, which is very clear. Weird. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Toast. Yeah, sorry. So they're clearly parodying the earlier. Um, well, they're. Parodying the American health insurance system. I think this is one of the things that I've mentioned before, not being entirely sure about, just because it feels very on-the-nose reference to real-life health insurance system. And some of the wording, I thought, was perhaps a little... I don't know. I say mileage may vary on that one. But certainly... Um, it's interesting because you've got your sort of different levels of health insurance plan that you can purchase, and that will affect how the dockbot might um, react to you and different levels of plan get priority and so on. And I think there's one of them, I think, describes it as you get your um, treatment via blood transfusions from another citizen, which... There's the uh, Vulture Insurance, yeah. which is having a team of heavily armed Vulture Squadron medics just running in, killing everything they think might hurt you, and then, I guess, performing a field op. Ah, uh, so it's the Shadowrun uh, called Dock Wagon or whatever, but with the gold contract, right? Hmm. Uh, that's actually a silver tier. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So there's... I'm, I'm a nerd, not a Shadowrun nerd. Sorry. Yeah, that's the other interesting thing here. Obviously, the tiers, you've got gold is the lowest tier, and then copper, and then silver. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so it's um, based on, I think, level of conductivity of the metal. <laughs> which, which is, you know, very paranoia. Oh man, that's wonderfully paranoia. I love that. See, at first glance, glance, I was thinking that maybe some humanists had a, or romantics had attempted to install it and just had gotten the ordering wrong. Yeah. But I like that observation. That's, that's very good. That's hilarious. There's a section called. Uh, uh, how to get really cool drugs. Uh, W.J. McGuffin notes this as um, not that recreational drugs are cool, but do stay in school, kids. Um, yeah. Chemistry? Uh, oh! Drugs now have stat boosts. It's also it's the eyeball users guys which sort of gives you more discussion as to what the eyeball, which is obviously the sort of computer thing in everyone's head that gives them their heads-up display and they can use it to record and so on. And I think that's useful, sort of giving a guide to using that. It discusses dead zones where you don't, where recording won't work, how to get into dead zones, how to disrupt them. Uh, 
And I think that's useful as well, just because the eyeball, as it's discussed in the original player's guide, isn't heavily defined as to what it actually does and what you know, how you can actually use it to screw over each other. Um, Ordering free Galgarine uh, costs 55 XP. So, of course, it costs XP to get free anything. Um, I do enjoy how down at the bottom of all the medicine listings, it does include a bit about clinical trials, um, which I think will help uh, remind some GMs of, um, hey, this would be a cool little uh, side trip during a mission um, to R&D or whatever. And it has a little side effect table as well, which is nice. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting how much further in depth they've gone into drugs and paranoia with this, because uh, as I recall in older editions, the drugs were just, uh, they were a joke on the GM for being mm -hmm. overly complex and you have to roll for it. It's all meaningless. It's just to frustrate yeah. the GM yeah. who doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, there were some really interesting drugs in earlier editions, but yeah, it's a big thing, particularly first and second edition, there was very much a feeling that the entire rules and so on were just there to be as needlessly complex as possible, just as a sort of joke on someone who would actually try and run its rules as written. And, <laughs> and um, certainly... XP with the drugs, um, I distinctly remember that being very similar, yeah. There's, yeah, you know, you'd roll on the random drugs table and you'd have these lists of drugs with ridiculously complicated names and confusing side effects. <laughs> you have to keep track of them all, but of course it's just, it's a joke on the GM who's trying to run it raw. And it's kind of a reminder, although it's not plainly stated, that paranoia isn't really meant to be run raw. They even tell you that plainly in other places. Mm -hmm. I do enjoy that they've actually fleshed it out quite a bit now, because yeah. before, yeah. all we really had was wakey-wakey and sleepy time were the only things, really, that were consistent. Yeah. Okay, right. here, here we go. So we've got these um, loyalty disorder bingo cards. Here's um, Manic Hyperloyalty Affliction. Got speaking loudly, excessively praising the computer, waiting for orders from a superior, foot stomping, singing, questioning the loyalty of others, getting wet without a reason, refusing to hear, and unnecessary smiling. So, um, if you get a three-square bingo, you contact internal security for your prize. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, like stockpile syndrome. We've got giggling, reaching into pockets, unusual happiness, refusing to move, eerily calm, excessive self medicating, clumsiness, refusing to look, or excessive purchasing. So, again, some of these things are very much, you know, stuff that you could be doing in or out of character. Right. And I think that's one of the, the things that sets paranoia apart from mm -hmm. pretty much any other role-playing game is 
you don't need to make that distinction between in character and out of character yeah. and it's so much more immersive when you don't yeah i mean um, yeah post treason guilt complex has being suspiciously loud or suspiciously <laughs> unsuspicious <laughs> suspiciously <laughs> quiet suspiciously <laughs> unsuspicious yeah so that's much. one of the most paranoid things i've heard in a while Oh goodness gracious! Yeah, it's really I I really like it. I was very um, worried about everything in regards to Paranoia Seventeen, but Acute Paranoia is just a wonderful read. Yeah, uh, which also Ember the Chris the completely loyal blank pages at the end of the Troubleshooter Survival Guides, which are not blank pages at all. They're a bunch of inverted commas. Um, so treasonous stuff off of the black grey subnets and this isn't like the first one obviously is a copy of the basically the script for a briefing and I think that's great because it tells players what a mission briefing should look like so they know when they're going in what's going to happen and that gives much more um think cause for actually knowing when you can start sort of acting up or screw each other over and so on oh yeah and there's even a page about why calling the computer is a bad idea yeah for those that need to be told that yeah okay so here's the other great one so there's the page on um ways to turn off the eyeball recording temporarily basically and it's this list that's, um, you know, petabots look blissfully happy walking in a tight circle counterclockwise, get soaking wet. And, uh, you know, he points out a lot of these happen to be symptoms of disorders in the disorder bingo cards. <laughs> Only naturally, of course. Of course. So, so it's, um, I think... Yeah, WJ points out in the designer's notes that that's an idea that Gareth Hanrahan came up with, who's the sort of main designer in charge, I think, of the Paranoia line at the moment, although he didn't actually work on this one. Yeah, Gareth Hanrahan is a great writer. Uh, he's been on Paranoia for quite a while, hasn't he? Yeah, he was uh, basically took over being in charge of the line after Alan Varney stepped down. And he seems to be in charge of almost everything um, game design-wise at Mongus. <laughs> Does um, Traveller and things as well. It's in good hands. Also, real quickly, I'd like to note that uh, WJ has a note here in regards to uh, uh, Chemist Deli, where he actually says that there's a chemist and a deli, in this, like it's the same thing in the town he lives in. Yeah. I think it's, it's Chicago. Chicago. Uh, yeah. Um, just these uh, annotations add so much to it. Like, it's incredible. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Or... By chemist, yeah. you mean like a, a pharmacy, yeah? yeah? Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah. yeah, or there's like an actual transcript of a debriefing as well here uh, there's some advice from is it yeah 
Highway got promoted to blue clearance by Chill Manuel, Mystic Seeker, and Green Fairy Distiller. And, you know, this is, it's basically a guide to scapegoating the other players and getting promoted. I think this is, to my mind, it very much brought to mind the um, tips for traitors or treasonous jive that'll keep you alive from XP, which obviously appeared at the end of the players section. Yeah, having previous Paranoia Riders work on this works really well to its advantage in uh, not aping off so much previous editions, but grokking what made them so good. Yeah, uh, so there's sort of two other things I think worthy of mention from the Troubleshooter Survival Guide, which are on alternative versions of player characters, which we've got the bots, who are... Basically, what it sounds like, they're robots. They've got robots are bot clearance, so they're um, basically below IR, but they're also computer property. So they've got this almost immunity from being attacked because attacking a bot is like attacking the computer. So it's this um, weird uh, equilibrium almost. It's also interesting because according to this, uh, the majority of everything that the bot records isn't actually sent or recorded or able to be seen by the computer. It's just vomit of scrap code, I think is the exact wording. Yeah. And this is interesting. Bots obviously don't have the... Um, say, oh, they're not humans, so they don't have DNA and things, so they can't have mutations, but they do have glitches, which are almost... A similar idea. And if we look at the glitch cards, they're uh you know, like glitch cortex buddy spend one charge to cause any human to like and trust you for the remainder of the scene. So hey, you know, basically nice. Yeah, it's basically like machine empathy, except that you're using it on a human instead of a human using it on a boat. It's reverse of machine empathy. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, electrokinesis, where you spend one charge to cause an arc of electricity to any point near you. Uh, charges being similar to Moxie, I think. Um, bots also get their own secret societies, except that they're called. Uh, viruses, aren't they? Yeah, virus societies. And. Again, they some of them are sort of new looking. They they brought back Corpore Metal. Which, yeah, MacGuffin which... even mentions that he was upset Corpore Metal wasn't in the core book and made sure to add that like pretty much as soon as he could. Shout out yeah. to MacGuffin yeah. times a million for this whole thing, but man, that's just wonderful. Yeah, I mean Corpore Metal is sort of one of the classic paranoia secret societies, you know, it's the bot lovers, it's the folk who want to be bots. It's the bot like relations, sort of, depending on what edition and how you want to run it. Yeah. Um, so that way, there's also codgers who are old age citizens. Old. There's no such yeah. thing. Reading that is hilarious. 
so you know it's like they're old which means they've got visibility where people just sort of don't see them because they fade into the background and don't get taken seriously <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they're also you know they've got so many drugs <laughs> that they're basically walking pharmacies and it's like very much you know it's not mocking old people but it is very much a sort of um knowledgeable sort of look at you know the stereotypes of the elderly you can also if you're if you're a codger you can increase uh one zero skill to one and another zero skill to three and you can yeah. even teach yeah. other troubleshooters some by rambling at them for an hour you can get one of those skills to a one and that's an hour at the table mind you yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, let's talk about Lenny and Tila. I think that's the last thing in the uh, player's guide. Oh, that uh, little comic strip? Yeah, so Tila, it, so this is um, Tila O'Malley, who is now canonically called Tila O'M-L-Y. She was, um, in earlier editions, she was Tela O, who used Tila O'Malley as his stage name. Now it's been simplified to just have her as being Tila O full stop, which I can see the logic. I'm not like saying they shouldn't have done this. Um, I'm grateful uh, for my end because yeah. it's between, between Tela and Tila was so confusing to me. And pretty much everybody would always refer to her as Tila anyway. So I don't see yeah. a problem yeah. with that. No, and then we've also got some um, Lenny R J R K, who is the sort of evil um, foil to Tila. Oh yeah, that's right. It's like that uh, old kids book with the uh, the two boys. One was good and one was bad, and they're always showing how you should be like the good one. Yeah. So Tila sacrifices any semblance of a life outside work to meet production goals. Yeah, they've got this sort of little propaganda comic showing sort of be like Tila, don't be like Lenny. And I've got to say this here again as well, is Tila looks like an inbred English English girl from the South. It's it's so bizarre. I hate her character design, but she really does. It's so weird. Like, I know attractiveness isn't a big thing in the Alpha Complex, but you would think for somebody like that, you wouldn't want somebody that looks like they have an extra seven chromosomes. No. Uh, so, there's also the point here. Uh, two things. Firstly, calling someone a Tealer or discussing Tealer can add plus one to your node when you're trying to um, kiss up to somebody. And if you're trying to antagonize or belittle someone, then calling them a Lenny adds plus one dice. So, so I kind of like that little, um, you know, adding. Yeah. But there is also comes with the acute paranoia set the Tila O dice. Oh, oh. the Tila O dice! I want the Tila O dice. Yeah. So. Basically, when you're working together as a team, you can you roll the Tila dice as well as everything else. And the Tila dice, like the computer dice, has a picture of Tila on it, and it has a picture of Lenny on it. Uh, 
So I'm assuming that Linny would be like um, more or less a failure and Tila would be a success in that case? Basically, yeah, you've... No, I think it's you get some sort of something good happens if you roll Tila and something bad happens if you roll Lenny. Ah, okay. So sort of like an extra computer dice almost. Kind of. I'm just going to see if I can... I'm sure one of the pages does discuss it and I can't find it in the PDF. Unfortunately. Use control F, you nerd. Yeah, it'll be in the GM guide somewhere. Uh... Dead air. Dead air. Yeah. So, this is going over like. Here we are, the Tila dice. So, yeah, you add the Tila dice to your node when you're doing something working with another player's troubleshooter. So, it's of this encouragement to work together even while you're hating each other. And. Yeah, basically, the. um. <laughs> Other player gets a bonus if you roll Teela or get something bad happen to him if you get Lenny. So yeah, the Teela's a six, so that's a success, and additionally the other player's troubleshooter gets a double plus good bonus. Double plus good. Excellent. A double plus good bonus. Yeah, and if you roll a Lenny, it counts as a failure, and the other player's troubleshooter gets a double plus good, a double plus bad penalty. So no matter what, no, it doesn't happen to you. It goes like everything goes good or bad player. happens. Yeah. Okay. That's wonderful. Uh, some people may have an issue with how uh, the newer version almost kind of uh, promotes a little bit working together a bit more than previous editions, but I really love that feeling of never knowing who is and is not your enemy. And if your also, enemy may also. be helping you just to appear mm -hmm. more friendly. Yeah, but also, you know, you're working together with someone else. But, you know, as it, WJ points out, because it's going to the other character that gets the bonus or the penalty, it's going to be, you know, they got a bonus they don't deserve, or I got a penalty because of that player. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's basically working together gives more reasons to hate each other. Exactly, I love it. Yeah, that is absolutely the paranoia spirit. Yeah. So, yeah, in terms of the, uh, what you call it's then, GM's guide, uh, we've got section on players using bots, which is basically the GM equivalent of the player section. It's it contains the rules for the mutant powers and the different uh, virus societies and so on. Um, basically, some advice on uh, running games with bot player characters. Uh, I think it's interesting that it's obviously written with the idea in mind that you're going to have a potential mixed group of um, you know, humans and bots in a troubleshooter team. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's also the addition of how to use the outside which is outdoors which has traditionally been a big part of paranoia and which was officially didn't exist in the red clearance edition box sets 
Of course not. The outside is, uh, why would you ever want to leave Alpha Complex or even think of it? Yeah. Absolutely. But, whereas in previous editions, it's been, you know, the outside exists, but you're not allowed to go. This is more officially the outside does not exist and it won't be showing up in games. So I think it's nice to sort of see a return to the outside. A return to the outside? Have you been there before, Citizen? <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, doing things you're not supposed to, um, down here towards the end of the book, there's actually a chapter called um, Bad Clone Alternatives to Execution. And I, I think that's a really great addition mm -hmm. uh, just to the whole thing because a lot of GMs will just say, you're dead, you know, that's it. Bring out yeah. your new clone. Instead of like actually taking the time to train their player um because uh, let's be real death isn't a real consequence mm -hmm. until you've died like five or six times mm -hmm. you know? yeah. so i think it's really important that they add stuff like this for specifically to help new gms learn how to train their players to play the way they want them to play yeah i, mean, it's um, I think a lot of people when they're new to paranoia to new to gming and I have played in many, many games with new GMs who've done this and basically just assume that their goal is just to kill the players as much as possible. Yeah. And that gets boring fast. It gets really boring and honestly quite annoying when you've gone through that with several GMs who all have the same outlook. And, I mean, I really love the, the whole concept of actually punishing them and not just killing them. Um, which yeah. is something I had started doing before this even because it doesn't make sense to every single infraction. Oh, you get zapped, you're dead, you know, and that was even a thing in classic um, and not so much straight. But I mean, obviously giving medications, one of the classics. I like the example they give the citizen snitch for his treasons rarely done all alone, so the computer wants the troubleshooters to snitch on his teammates, then the deal is one treason story is deleted for each troubleshooter they turn in with evidence of treason. Yes! <laughs> the, the only real problem I have with some of these is, like, you're reliant on the player to roleplay some, some of these things. Hmm. Which... You know, if they're already doing a terrible job role-playing, that you need to use stuff like this to correct them, then, like, I don't know how much better it's going to get. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think one of my favorites, actually, from XP as a method of punishment was the poker chip of forgetting, where you the GM drops a poker chip from a height onto the player's character sheet, and whatever it lands on and covers up, they no longer have the ability to use. Yeah, I forgot that was a thing. I really do like that. Yeah. So if it covers their mutation, then they can no longer use mutation. If it covers their one of their stats, then they can't use that stat. If it covers their name, then they've got amnesia and don't know what their name is. Yes! <laughs> oh, man, wonderful. Um, as for, like, if you're doing porn RP and you need punishments, there definitely does need to be some recourse because it's not as though every player or even most players will be role playing poorly or in, or intentionally rather, you know. Um, yeah, giving yeah. them some guidelines or training them up is quite important, I think, for recourse. 
Yeah, there's also, as was mentioned before, a return to the underplex appears here in the GM's book, which is brilliant. It's basically, so the underplex is like locations under or around Alpha Complex that are like behind the walls or under the floors and they've sort of been walled off and forgotten about almost. If you're familiar with 40k, think of the underhives in hive cities. I would actually go so far as to say that I, I truly think that the underplex is one of the more important locations to feature in a game. Mm. Specifically if you're going for immersion. And like especially in a straight game. I think you should absolutely do even just a little bit to hint at the existence of the underplex because it just adds so much more to the world that you're building for these characters. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It gives yeah. it the the feeling of not just being a static world where everything has always been the exact same, but that there is change and there's things hidden up. But knowing about them or acknowledging them is the is what's uh, punishable. You know, I love it. Yeah. I keep using that term, I love it, in regards to everything I'm reading, and that's just because it's it's so true. I love everything about this. It's yeah. like the first paranoia anything that's come out in a decade or so that's really perfectly paranoia, you know? Yeah, so here's some great stuff. There's the plug-and-play locations, which are just... Basically, they've got these generic locations that you'll find, like the bottom gear of player station, the uh, briefing room, the cafeteria. And there's sort of special actions that can go on there. There's reasons the GM can use it. Um, you, know, you roll for sort of the security, the size, the quirks, and so on. So like the yeah, security, size, crowd, and quirks. So, for instance, the briefing room security can be red, 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 orange or yellow. Size, standing room, any of that. Small with two chairs. Decent with a sufficient eating for all. Medium with one big couch. An echoing warehouse. Uh, the crowd can be, like, empty. There could be a sleeping briefing officer. Briefing officer leaving and other coming in. Where are all the people and bots doing here? Um quirks like briefing officer intent on ignoring all those corpses the yellow troubleshooter team waits patiently and so on and i think you know these are really useful things for a gm if you're like designing a mission or if you've like realized that you've not necessarily thought of something in particular and you need to throw something in quickly absolutely uh this is it pretty much comparable to the uh, paranoia um random room generator which yeah. i have a copy of on my gm screen when i run nice yeah and i think there's the points made as well for the plug and play locations that they're designed for the particular uses which it points out specifically in the description what these uses are like the What's it called? Yeah, the bottom gear repair center can be used for regaining moxie or charge. It can be used for ruining equipment. It's somewhere that players can get help. So you can sort of, if you recognize a need, like your players are running low on moxie, 
send them somewhere that they can regain it. Or if the players are too much moxie, there's sort of rooms that can be used as basically moxie sinks. And of course, there's RNG. Sorry, go ahead, Casey. Uh, uh, I, I was just saying, you know, of course, there's an RNG as well um, mm. that they've got all ready to plug and play. Arguably, like, the third most important room in any paranoia game. Yeah, that's right. Starring um, yeah. dead legumes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. R&D, rolling the computer symbol in an R&D room means an insect strike team is dispatched thinking that you're trying to steal dangerous experiments. There's a full-spectrum laser pistol on that table over there. Yeah. So... Yeah, this brings to mind instantly. There's the perfectly safe gear deck, which I don't think is technically part of Acute Paranoia, but it was one of the um, stretch goals in the Kickstarter, so it's one of the ones that folk got as well. And this one, the perfectly safe gear, was written by WJ, Amanda Cherry, and Ed Turner. Um, I unfortunately don't have any um, columns designers notes for these but they're basically equipment cards some of them are the sort of things you might find in r d uh there's a bow and arrow there's a lasso catapult so some of this it tommy gun ghillie suit um the stop sign moonshine a lot of this is sort of stuff that you would find lying around uh, some of it could potentially be R&D equipment, some of it less so. Uh, there's an internal security helmet. Uh, um, yeah, so like here we've got the goo eider. Drop goo into device, shake vigorously, and get a readout identifying the goo. Bleeps very loudly when the goo is poisonous. Which, you know, might be the sort of thing that you would see from R&D. Uh, Maybe. Uh, there's a remote up and downer, which is basically a TV remote. <laughs> and again, and it reminds me of the stuff book for Paranoia XP, which actually had a shotgun from the old reckoning that R&D have just sort of found and said, right, here's something we've made. <laughs> so a lot of this stuff you could potentially do something like that with this. I think a lot of it's basically old reckoning stuff that the players can't really understand what it is, but sort of taking guesses at. Uh, there's a grotesque ancient weapon, which appears to be a lawnmower. <laughs> that reminds me of who's yeah, played yeah, Dead yeah. Rising. No, it's a very, very grotesque, uh, very grotesque weapon. Yeah. Perfect girl for complex nights. Mm-hmm. Um. But that whole yes. thing reminds me of a um, a session that I saw uploaded on YouTube, and in R and D, um, they walked in and there was this uh, box with this clear plastic uh, rectangle, more or less, on top, and mm-hmm. uh, the R and D officers were just like, "Yeah, if you could just uh, stick your hand in there and uh, press the button <laughs> and tell me what you feel." <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, um, there's, again, so the GM's guide ends with this thing about the GM's articles and advice, which 
I think these articles should have been in the original Red Clearance Edition box set, basically. You know, this is this is the GM guy that a GM actually wants. We said before it's got the alternative to executing troubleshooters. It's got um your know, guides to how to encourage the players um fighting each other. There's driving a wedge between the players. There is a section on how to talk to the computer. Um yeah. So these are great articles that are basically I think very much equivalent to the GM's guide from earlier editions, really. Yeah, and uh going back to those plug and play rooms for a second. Um mm -hmm. down here towards uh almost at the very end of the book, I think it's the last part. It actually has a list of rooms um, specifically for uses, like a bleeding moxie and bleeding XP and um, combat. Like specifically, if you just really need to break something up, it has just a list of um, of yeah. places that you can use in com uh, just for combat or just for finding an NPC. It's um, really yeah, wrong. and it's got it's basically an index for that just list the um rooms and the page numbers that they're on which is great it's interesting that um ruin equipment seems to be the largest section it it really gives you it, it, sorry but it just like really legitimizes the always extant theme of gm makes things happen as he needs it to happen and it gives you a legitimate outlet to make things happen i, I just oh primo Right, in yeah. three parts before that, it, it has a section on how to just make it happen, uh, mm -hmm. what you want, but still keeping things fun. Um, yeah. And yeah. specifically, it, it talks about humor. Uh, because let's be honest, we don't play Paranoia for the roleplay, we play it because it's funny and we love it. Yes. Um, so it, it talks about how to read your, your character, uh, your players, um, and and it really goes into depth about not heaping too much on one person um, unless they, like, really, truly are just being that stupid. Yeah, and it's an interesting point, actually, humor, because I remember being quite annoyed by the GM advice in the core box set because it suggests, oh, yeah. uh, you know, one Don't thing you should not do is just do something that's funny. Like, no, because... You know, one of my advices that I always give to GMs is, you know, when in doubt, have something funny happen. That um, on yeah, that's such weird idea. Yeah. And Sorry, it's, Casey. Uh, yeah. Sorry. No, you're good, Kelly. Well, I lost my train of thought, so moving swiftly on. <laughs> yeah. Humor. But yeah. But basically, I think it's useful to actually understand that, you know, Humor is going to be dependent on the group almost. True. Different different group dynamics will require different things. And so reading your group and actually knowing when it's appropriate to have something funny happen and when you know it should be on encouraging the players to do the funny is a useful skill to learn. Right. Like um the group that I ran last Friday, um Granted, it was three of us total, but uh, they were from my D and D group, and I've been playing with these guys for it'll be a year in June. So, mm -hmm. 
you know, like that was super easy to read them. Uh, we've been playing together. We know each other. So encouraging them to uh, do the funny. Um, like there was one guy who broke his kneecaps at the bottom of a chasm trying to get a robot out. Yeah. And so I had the other, the other player just sat there for like five minutes eyeing his laser pistol, like just trying to decide whether or not it was worth shooting the guy in the head just to get his new clone. And that tension was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and it felt really good to be able to, to provoke that sort of, uh, not only thought, but that sort of tension, tensioned humor, um, which is really the heart and soul of paranoia. Yeah. Um, the one other thing in the GM guide, incidentally, is the GM helper tableinators, which are basically tables of random things that will be fun to inflict on the players. So right, we've got a um, R&D scientist um, generator. There's the the botanator gives you bots, the bullinator gives you a bully, the loyalinator is a loyal citizen, and so on. The punishmentator is particularly excellent. And everything is an itator. Yeah. It also does a good job of giving you some example um, high programmers for, uh, you know, when you, when you just need to throw some weight around. Yeah. I believe those oh. high programmers are uh, contributors. Kickstarter backers. Yeah. yeah, so basically they keep doing this in Kickstarter. They'll have a limited number of um, high-level programmers, um, backers who can back an ultraviolet clearance and will get put into the game. I think the way they did it is quite plain because there's all these ultraviolets, you know, you put all this money to back a game and you just get a small little portrait with a name. Uh, And it feels very lackluster, like they didn't put almost any effort into it. This is probably my harshest critique of all. It would have been much nicer if they had um, either proper listings of ultraviolets that happened to use those backers' names or even were able to sprinkle them throughout. Yeah, I mean, they... They just... um, uh, Yeah, the uh, Red Clearance Edition GM's Guide does actually have, and as far as I'm aware, these were also Kickstarter backers, a list of, you know, ultraviolets, and it says which um, secret societies they're secretly manipulating. It tells you a bit about them and sort of what their alignments are in terms of things... And I do think it would be nice if these ultraviolets would have done the same thing. Yeah, they also kind of just show up in the middle of the book, like without much fanfare, and then you move on. Yeah, it's it doesn't really explain anything. You've just suddenly got this list of um, mugshots of high programmers. It's quite unfortunate, but hopefully, maybe they'll be able to work in those backers in another way in another book. We'll see. I I do like the new listings for the um the different uh secret societies that they've introduced in this supplement. Um I I've these are all new new societies um that See, I don't uh, think. Bot societies. 
So, uh, like, some of them are specifically bots that are pro-human. Um, some of them are just, like, uh, the black pill, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I really like these. Yeah. Uh, there's the zero-hour assumptionists who are quite entertaining. And... This point, the zero hour assumptions are basically the bot version of the first Church of Christ computer programmer. Except yeah. they believe that the computer began life as a bot and that they can sort of become like the computer. And he, there's the point here that he may or may not be parodying Mormonism at one point and may or may not be mocking Scientology at one point. As well as Catholicism. Yeah. There's. Obviously, um, WJ comes from a Catholic background at one point. Um, he points out that's where he sort of decided to use the assumption term from. I'm normally not overly excited about uh, parodies of real-world things, but I think it works quite well here just because of how ridiculous it is. Yeah. Well, as a sort of addendum to that, I think that all fantasy is somewhat rooted in truth, even if it's sci uh, science fiction. Um, and so using those as a sort of starting point, especially since he's going for satire, is, is a good move on his part. Sure, sure. Mm. I just, uh, I like a few degrees of separation, you know. Maybe not as far as Loader, Lord of the Rings is from reality but a few a few degrees more would have been i don't know it's just that's just a personal thing though yeah um so yeah the other point if we move on then to the mission book 2.0 i was looking through this a minute ago and i have to say i really like the npc cards mission mission book 2.0 including uh Awkwardly, a mildly <laughs> racist card. Yeah, let's um, let's just address the monkey in the room there. Elephant in the room here. <laughs> the monkey in the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. we're gonna remove that in um post editing. The elephant in the room. <laughs> there is. Now, I think this was entirely by accident, and I don't think. This was at all intended, and so on and so on. But one of the missions has the players going into the outdoors, and they basically meet these um, former complex people who have sort of gone feral. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. And yeah. Um, the problem is that their leader, if I can find it here is um, it's right near the bottom it's built in yeah, the block. It's, yeah. it's page 180 i think 100 something 180. it only has 105 pages so i don't think it's yeah, gonna be much say, 180 oh no it doesn't show up on my computer well yeah i'm not finding it for some reason i'm sure i had it before but anyway basically long story oh, short, page 100. short page 100 yeah. Yeah. So I can read these this real fast because this is hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Built in the black. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a former infrared. 
Gormer Ethered, he he is also black as an African. He is very selfish and boastful, but easily confused and carries a sharp spear. <laughs> I don't I don't think it's intentional. No, um, this absolutely would not have been intentional, but and I think if the art department had say made him white, it wouldn't really be an issue. No, it's 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 not an issue either. It's just I find no. it extremely amusing. It's unfortunate artwork, Kane. Yeah, you know, art doesn't this. help it. Yeah, yeah, you know this guy's you know very dark skin beard. Um, he looks African, and he's described as carrying a spear, and his name's Filton the Black. Well, he's also described as being dressed in animal furs and leather. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very. Anyway. Yeah. Moving yeah. swiftly on to what. Moving swiftly on the about. actual substance of the book. Uh, so we've got three missions here. Uh, they've done this thing again with. I don't know why they've decided to do this, but they've not said who the writers are on the missions. In as far as we can tell from the um, designers' notes. Uh, censored for your protection and the missing regiment were written by WJ and then critical system patch was uh, written by Grant Howitt and then updated by WJ. Uh, I don't know the we've got the full list of writers again in the um, credits itself. So anyway, they're very, I'd say, really good missions. Uh, it's one of these things where you can't really say too much because you don't want to spoil the missions for anyone. Yeah. Um, one thing I really do like about the new um, paranoia system is the achievements that they include at the end of every yeah. mission. Oh, yes. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy like just knowing that these are things that players could do, and I mm -hmm. may or may not need to plan for them. Yeah, and I mean, there, you know, you've got things like being the first to enter the R and D lab, which is something simple. But there's other ones which are like completely out there and could just be something that a player would do completely by accident. Right, and uh, if you were playing an XP, these are things that you would award, award like somewhere between one and five perversity points for. Yeah. Um. None of them are particularly like stop the stop the record. You know this is absolutely insane. Mm. Uh, aside from something to do with nuclear fuel rods, but because uh, that's just that is insane. Yeah. Um, I mean, I but, think there's one of them where you get fifty XP points if you don't fall for the trap. <laughs> but let's be honest, no one's getting that. Yeah. Um. But you know, I, I do like the sort of randomness of it. It does sort of bring to mind a lot of your sort of Xbox Live Steam achievements, which will occasionally show up that are completely out there. Right. And these are more akin to like hidden achievements, um, where it's like you didn't even know you, uh, there was an award for that until you did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've all seen those. 
But another thing I want to address is how amazing the art is for the new edition. Uh, I really uh, enjoyed XP's art mm-hmm. as sort of like a comic. Uh, like you, you could expect to see something like it in a newspaper almost. Um, but here on like page nine, there's a troubleshooter trying to blast someone in the head through a door while a piece of toast bounces off of it. And I think that's absolutely hilarious and a great sort of illustration of just how crazy things can get. I do have to push back a tiny bit here. Um, The art has definitely grown on me a lot more since I first saw it, but I'm not overly fan of the overly cartoon manner in which it's presented. Uh, It feels a bit too silly to me. Yeah, yeah. It has grown on me quite a lot. I think my biggest problem really with the art is the faces more than anything. Yeah, yeah. Faces are all very similar. They're also pretty deep into the Uncanny Valley. Yeah, Yeah. it's very Uncanny Valley, the faces. Yeah. Although, one thing I do like, though, because the artwork is in full color, which um, a lot of the other one earlier editions didn't have, you know, there is a lot of diversity in the characters. Like, as we said before, one of the NPCs is very obviously African. There's basically every sort of race and gender is being represented, which is nice. Like, it doesn't feel as though they're, you know, just trying to pander by throwing in some token minorities or whatever. Yeah, no, that I was going to say, it doesn't feel like it, they're pushing the often feared liberal agenda, which has gotten into some uh, RPGs. The computer, the complex, really doesn't acknowledge or care about racial or gender differences. So it's really mm-hmm. nice to see that portrayed in an accurate fashion. Like, right, things like eugenics like, and sexism are completely obsolete and never heard of. Um, yeah, it's just not important. Like, you're, it's very, I would say it's meritocratic, which it isn't, but it's kind of that concept of, of yeah. race yeah. and gender isn't even a real concept. And it, it, I, I think that goes back to, like, in some ways, uh, Alpha Complex is a complete utopia, except yeah. for the part where it's completely falling apart, which, which, again, that's the basic premise of the game. If yeah. you squint yeah. your eyes enough, Alpha Complex is a utopian society. You get You get six lives, there's total equality, it's a meritocratic system... And everything is run <clears throat> super highly efficiently by an extremely <laughs> in- intelligent computer, which uh, means that nobody ever has to think too deeply about what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, you, you never want for anything, you know, it's like fully automated luxury communism, except it's not communism. <clears throat> Just, um... In one of the sort of jokes in the earlier editions was that basically the computer fears communism so much that he's created a communist state. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's certainly... a fully automated command society. That's, that's yeah. what we're going to say. Yeah, like in first edition, the joke is that Alpha Complex is basically the USSR. 
Yeah, I love it. It's so wonderful. It's literally a communist society, but they hate the word communism. It's it's a war yeah. crime. It's not crime to be communist. Yeah, and like um, Burnley by XP edition, it was very much state capitalism. Yeah, they changed it later, but there's a lot of things in First Ed I really do prefer over XP. I'm still fond yeah. of clone yeah. families. So here's one other thing that came with the Kickstarter. Um, actually, before we get into that, I would like to say one issue that I've got with the missions that have been published for the latest edition, and this jumped up again in the mission book here, is that they don't begin the mission by tell giving you a sort of synopsis of what all the different scenes are and what's going to happen. So you actually mm. need to read right through the entire mission to understand the entire thing. Yes, it's quite annoying. I can agree with that. I think that in XP, it was ab ab absolutely amazing to just be able to print off a single photocopied sheet to remind you, like, what was in each scene exactly uh, instead yeah. of having to go through and make your own notes about what's supposed to happen well um, one rather nice thing that wj's done here and he points it out in the um designer's notes is that it's full of optional scenes that you can just plug in and take out as needed depending on how long the session's running which that's is always a, a good Modular missions are always a good feature. Yeah, which, I mean, I've run enough games of Paranoia to know very much, you know, if you run entirely to the book, it could take twice as long as you were expecting, uh, just depending just on what the players do. Yeah, like uh, Robot of Mana, uh, that mission, they say it should take, like, an hour, maybe two, your players are probably going to be dumb enough that it'll, it'll take three and a half. Yeah, it can happen. Um, so, yeah, this other thing I wanted to mention is the RAM deck, which you guys probably won't have a copy of unless you've um, got the Kickstarter. But the RAM deck is basically a deck of cards. Um, so the GM will give you one RAM card when you do something good. Only one RAM card may be in play at any time. Play a RAM card face up when you want, pending GM approval. All players must do what the card says until it's discarded, and you can have any number of RAM cards, but why not play them? And there's things like, you know, happiness is mandatory. When the next computer symbol is ro rolled, everyone must loudly state they're ridiculously happy. The first or most enthusiastic player gets a 100 XP point. The last or most boring player gets a treason star. Oh. And so they're basically different these cards that basically just add a bit of fun in, like there's troubleshoot harder, not smarter. Anyone who makes a brains roll gains a treason star while this card is active. I like that. I do love that, and I love the paranoia concept, going back a little bit to uh, the meta, like the real person and the actual role player. There's not a real distinction in paranoia. Like, you yeah. are yeah. just quite literally your troubleshooter. Yeah, he got some heroism means sacrifice. Troubleshooters who do not fight during a combat round for any reason lose 50 XP points per incident. Discard when either someone runs out of XP points or someone terminates true traitors. And 
You know, that's brilliant because a very common thing in paranoia is that if you don't take part in the combat, you won't die. You're right. Working You're together right. is communism. I run away. Yeah. Or even you know, like B3, it's the mandatory thing. The next time the GM mentions B3 or bouncy bubble beverages, all players must say it's the mandatory thing. The first or most robust gains two at Moxie points. The last or weakest has to get drinks for the entire table or lose two Moxie. <laughs> <laughs> that, table. that whole ram deck feels uh very similar to uh playing mao or playing dragon poker if either of you are familiar with those things yeah, yeah. and just to where it's adding a little bit more to the experience without mm-hmm. really completely changing changing the game i mean mao yeah, like- you're probably going to change the game every round but uh the point still stands yeah, like here's a good one. Um, guilty of something. When the GM counts down from five, every player must point at another player. The players receiving the most votes is demoted by one clearance level. Any player not voting or voting for themselves receives two threes and stars. Yourself. <laughs> so it's just, you know, I mean, that's exact. It's very simple. It's funny, and it's a great way to make enemies. Yeah, no, I, I think that is an absolutely stellar addition to Paranoia 17. Yeah. Yeah, you anyway. Shit first, find evidence later. When the next character dies, all players must hold their character sheets in the air and say, I have evidence. The first are most enthusiastic has one to their violence rating, the last or weakest loses one from their violence. Yeah, all right. Really? Yeah, illegal user error, please stay right there. Um, so we've got, uh, the next roll by any player is node minus one, the next next roll is node minus two, and so on. Scored after either someone reaches node minus six, or a troubleshooter admits their secret society membership to the computer. Oh. Oh my. <laughs> so... Basically, the longer that no one admits to treason, the um, more chance that someone's dice are going to come up really badly. Yeah. And if you play that at the right time, that could be absolutely horrifying. Wonderful, I think you mean. Yes. Yes, exactly. Paranoia is such a perfect surplus good game where mm-hmm. losing is part of the enjoyment. Yeah, here we go. Um, redacted. The GM writes down a secret word. The first troubleshooter to say the secret word gets three trees and stars. Once, <laughs> announced, <laughs> once announced, all other players must boo that player or receive one trees and star themselves. <laughs> so. That's like a declaring a word on history or something. Basically, yes. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, that sort of thing, I think, is exactly why, you know, a great example of the brilliant stuff that's actually being done for Paranoia that's really taking advantage of the new mechanics. Like, the RAM deck wouldn't have worked in previous editions because you didn't have the whole player card thing. Right. But... But, you know, because we've established a baseline of the game using cards for different things, just slotting in these extra cards just makes sense and feels natural. 
I mean, yeah. I'm still not sold on the whole card-based gameplay. Like, I'm having I'm enough trouble with the dice pool as it is. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I was super... I was actually vim, vi, bleh, vehemently against the whole card-based game uh, pretty much ever since it was announced. But the way that they've taken it uh, with this new one is really... Uh, it flows perfectly, and it adds a lot to the game without being uh, awkward or bad, in my opinion. Right. I think it's almost comparable to, like, if you're playing Dungeons & Dragons or whatever, and you want to, like, make some some index cards with, like, the attack, help, dodge, all those actions and stuff, and you have them in front of your player. It's It's just sort of reminding you of things that you can do, but with mm. Paranoia, it's also giving you extra things to do which i don't think is ever truly a bad thing because i it encourages player creativity and all that so it it encourages role play as well and continues to break down the barrier between your character and yourself yeah exactly and in a good paranoia game there's really not much of a distinction oh this is new i just noticed that there is a deck of extra secret societies and mutations that came with acute paranoia. So, for instance, there's um, the Informants Guild Secret Society, which basically you're an insect secret informant. Yeah. Yeah, it's so like, really, your I'm goals really are sure. get paid to inform on others, get paid to not inform on others, gather more dirt, don't get found out, recruit new informants. I don't really uh, agree with the whole insect being its own secret society thing. Yeah. Uh, this isn't insects, the secret society, though. This is um, the informants guild. So basically, you're an informant, and the secret society is ganging together with the other informants to share tips. So it's very similar to like spy from another alpha complex, except oh, okay. you're a spy for your own alpha complex. Kind of, yeah. Uh, there's also the disgusting body pocket mutant power. <laughs> okay, then. Yeah. You, have a pouch, you have a pouch in your body where you can hide anything as big as a laser pistol. Feeling that area will reveal there's something under your skin, but visual scans show nothing. That's disgusting, but also amazing. It's absolutely it's revolting. It is absolutely revolting, and uh, it's appropriate that they referred to it as such. It sounds like a koala pouch, but has a zipper on it. The di the illustration doesn't even have a zipper. It's just got someone with a laser pistol shoved into a pouch on his stomach. Oh. <laughs> so it's just a koala pouch, then? Yeah. It just turns you into a marsupial. Yeah, basically. Okay, then. I do like the idea of mutations actually being yeah. physically yeah. disgusting, though, by the way. Yeah. Because There's also the Hurais mutation. Uh, yeah. Sorry, say yeah. again. Uh, there's a mutation called Hurais. Ugh. Hurais? Yeah, you can hear when you're under surveillance. Yeah, what? It sounds that's... like staring. That's Ugh. disgusting. It, it sounds like someone. <laughs> Saying the word staring, or it just sounds like staring. 
It do, it just says, what does it sound like? Staring. It sounds like staring. <laughs> That's like that uh, real world thing where you associate certain colors with like flavors or sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, synesthesia. That's really synesthesia, cool. Yeah. Who has it? Synesthesia. Yeah. But I, 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 I think that I am absolutely thrilled with this um, acute paranoia set. Um, it might even tempt me to stop pirating uh, the P17 <laughs> stuff and actually go out and buy a set so I have the dice. Yeah, I mean, I'd yeah. recommend it. But... I, mean, I, mean, I haven't actually sure. received my copy yet, so I don't know what quality the dice that it comes with are, but they look good. I mean, I mean it, it would also be Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Callie. Oh, I was just going to say, of course, nobody here uses the illegal gray subnets naturally. No, no, of course. Nobody at all. Uh, it could be a fun project as well uh, to maybe 3D print uh, a set of dice for this. There was somebody on Reddit had a 3D printed loaded computer dice. Yeah. Uh, yes. yeah. <laughs> That's great. So, but yeah, so you can um, 3D print a regular computer dice and a loaded computer dice. I love it. That's the most paranoia thing anybody can do in real life. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there are, um, for folk that are less um ethical in these things you can buy sets of loaded d6 and yeah and just like th- paint over it or something yeah but no i mean there are there's a set of um loaded free loaded d6 for generating your D characters that you can buy on a certain dice website and it <laughs> yep. it makes a point in the description that you should not actually use those for rolling the characters but, you know, switching something like that into paranoia makes sense if you're playing it, if you're the GM, for instance. Or if you're, of course, if you're a GM for paranoia, you can always just roll sweets behind the GM screen. <clears throat> if you're a GM for paranoia, why are you rolling? Yeah, uh, rolling uh, sweets like behind sweet. the GM screen is one of my favorite um, GM tricks in paranoia. Oh, it's so genius. They clatter like dice. I found M&Ms are very good for doing it. Ah. Go tip, guys. The only thing I have in the house is, uh, like, um, uh, forget the word. It's like the sweet and sour hard candy. Uh-huh. Uh, sweet tarts. Oh, yeah, that'll probably do it. Yeah, it's sweet tarts, and I think those would probably do just as well as M&M's. Probably, yeah. I mean, the point is it has to have something that's got a good clattering sound. Yeah. Uh, boiled sweets are quite good. Don't use chewies. No, oh, yeah, no, you couldn't use something like a Hershey's or... Hard candies. 
gotta gotta ask your grandma for some of those old so the for some of those hard candies she's already always sucking on. Yes, where there's originals, that's a good trick. So yeah, I think honestly, acute paranoia shattered my, all my expectations and went above and beyond anything I could have hoped for. Yeah, I think my final uh, review for this is going to be buy as soon as you can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If I had the money, I would buy it literally right now. Yep. And when I bought it, it was one of these things. It was a risk because I say I backed one of the higher clearances, which was basically you get acute paranoia and you'll get all the stretch goals if they're met. And about 80, 90 quids total, which would not be worth it if all I was getting was acute paranoia. But because of the stretch goals, that's definitely made it worth it. I think I get the RAM deck, the perfectly safe gear. Uh, there's a mission called Truth or Dare, which I highly recommend. It's about basically the troubleshooters being sent uncovered, undercover to infiltrate Death Leopards. Oh my god. <laughs> and, I, re and... I remember you GM'd that mission. It was wonderful. Somebody, uh, yeah. like two thirds of the way through, just stabbed themselves in the eye. That's a whole mood, honestly. Yeah, it's um, it's an amazing, it's a classic hose job mission, basically. Uh, the players will screw themselves over, and the more they go on, the more they will screw themselves over, and the final result is all their faults. It felt <laughs> like being on a wild ride, though. I mean, it's Duck Leopard. What did you expect? Yes. I, I do think uh, that uh, we need more Code 7 missions for P17, though. That's uh, something I will put out there. Yes. I think we need more W.J. McGuffin in P17. W.J. McGuffin is a great man, and I admire him with every fiber of my being. Yes, likewise. Let us uh, yeah. continue to worship W.J. McGuffin. I mean, the amount of work he put into this is quite amazing, honestly. It almost looks like the man was living and breathing paranoia for probably months at a time. Yeah, and it should be pointed out again, there were four other writers working on this. It wasn't just him. Right, you know, but... Know, uh... Even the missions that were written by other people... Like, it's noted that he uh, edited and worked, or revised them. Yeah. That, and it's notoriously difficult to herd writers. It's just as difficult to herd cats, honestly. Or players, depending on the yeah. system. Yeah. In having worked with WJ kind of in the past, um, he is... Definitely someone I admire in terms of his ability to actually deal with um, coordinating writers. So Yeah. Uh, how long has WJ been with the Paranoia team? Right. So, basically, as far as I'm aware, he started out with the Traitor Recycling Studio in Paranoia XP. Uh, 
Ah, gotcha, gotcha. So, um, he specifically wrote the book uh, Criminal Histories. Oh, that was all him? Like yeah. the prehistory of Pachinko and all that? Yeah, he wrote the prehistory of Pachinko. That is probably the most notoriously complex flowchart I've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so he wrote the prehistory pachinko. He also worked on the um, other thing. He wrote Info Hazard for the WMD book. Okay. And I think he wrote some other stuff as well that I can't remember offhand. I think he was in uh, War on Insert Noun Here, wasn't he? Yeah. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Didn't he used to go by different pseudonym, though, back then? No, he went by his real name at first, and then he got in trouble because he was the principal at a Catholic high school, and his bosses didn't like him being a role-playing game designer. (laughs) 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 Oh my god. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that was a thing that happened. I did not know that. Thank you for uh, giving me that bit of insight. Yeah, insight. thank you, uh, old Grognak, Grognork, whatever, for being around <laughs> Paranoia so long to really give us the old lore. Yeah, I mean, this was written in the um, Paranoia Development blog by Alan Varney at the time. Um, I don't think that blog's still there, unfortunately. You can possibly find the archives. Hmm. All right, well, what do we talk about now? Uh, do we have anything left to cover? I think this is pretty much the end. uh, We talked about uh, Acute Paranoia for 17. Uh, We did our daily worship of W.J. McGuffin. I could compose a song tonight for us to, to lead you all in next time. <laughs> right. Well, I guess um, that's us done then. Uh, thanks for listening, people who've listened. Um, hopefully next time we will have something else paranoia-ish to talk about. I have been uh, Cali V. I also go by the Vault-Tec. Yep. Uh, I've been Steven. And this has been Casey. Thank you all so much.